0: This podcast is a 3D audio production, so watch out as sounds may seem to come from beside you or behind you. For the best listening experience, please use headphones.
1: Hello, I wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening, and also to explain why you might hear ads like this before, during, or even after an episode. We're a small but mighty team here at Realm and to help fund our shows, we promote products or services that we think you'd enjoy from a variety of sponsors. If any of our ads interest you, one of the best ways to support us is by visiting the link or using the promo code in the ad. It's pretty much a win-win since you can get some great deals and we can keep making awesome shows like this one. You can also visit realm.fm partners for more information about our sponsors and how to access the different promotions. Thanks again for joining us in our corner of the universe. Listen away.
0: Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Bantwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.
2: Realm presents Orphan Black, the next chapter, Season 2, starring Tatiana Maslany, Jordan Gavaris, Evelyn Brochu, and Christian Brun. Episode 7.
3: Kasima, wh- what are you doing? I have to get to that appointment, you know that. Or did you not sync your calendar again? Cosima?
4: Cosima had appeared out of nowhere, gestured to her wildly from across the street, and then pulled her into the back seat of an unfamiliar car. Her wife ignored her and addressed the driver instead.
3: Go! Where are we going? Maybe you forgot that I had to fast for this gestational diabetes test, so... Cherie, if
4: this is a surprise baby shower or something, I am not in the mood. It's not. Surprised by the flat tone, Delphine looked more closely at the woman sitting next to her as the car slid into traffic. You're not
5: Cosima. Put your seatbelt
4: on, Miss Cormier. We want to keep you and your baby safe. Delphine fastened her seatbelt, pulse pounding, resenting that she had to acquiesce to anything this imposter said.
3: It's Dr. Cormier. And if you're concerned about my baby, maybe you should try not stressing me out by kidnapping me.
4: Now that she was looking at the woman closely, she couldn't believe she had fallen for the masquerade. Yes, the clone looked like Kasima, of course. But there were subtle differences that became glaring the longer she looked. The wrong number of piercings in her left ear. Dreads not quite the right length. And the clothes, while in the right style, were not ones that Kasima owned. Delphine tried to get a better look at the woman behind the wheel. Another clone, but no, she wasn't, she realized as the driver turned momentarily to her right. Delphine's head spun as her brain tried to fit the woman's features into the familiar cast and kept coming up against discrepancies. The woman's eyes smiled at her in the rearview mirror, and Delphine recoiled, horrified and fascinated by the face that was not quite Alita's, but almost... Had she been born a clone and had surgery to change her appearance? Or, and this was somehow even worse, had she tried to alter herself to look like a clone?
3: Try to relax, Dr. Cormier. Don't tell me to relax. Where are you taking me? To a wonderful place, Doctor. You've been welcomed into the community of Haven. You work for Blythe Winston? We're privileged to number among her followers, yes. What is this about? What does
5: she want with me? Blythe knows you and Dr. Nihao succeeded in conceiving, and that no third-party donors were involved. She knows you perfected a procedure by which cells were harvested from both of you to create your child. And she knows you and your wife have seen fit to keep that breakthrough to yourselves. Blythe wants to persuade you to share that knowledge with our community.
3: By kidnapping me? She could have just asked. There's no need for any of this. My wife and I always plan to share our success with others.
5: Of course you did. Just as I'm sure you plan to tell us why you really inoculated all of us, and with what? Just as you were going to tell us we're clones. That's what you do, isn't it? Share the truth only when keeping it to yourselves is no longer an option?
0: Janice, enough!
5: Don't worry, Dr.
4: Cormier. You and your baby will be well cared for. The fake clone reached back to hand Delphine a bottle of water, still sealed.
1: We have nutritious food for you and your baby, too. You don't have to worry. We've thought of
4: everything. Every time they mentioned the baby, Delphine had to fight down her fear. She wanted to be calm. If she couldn't be, she would act calm. And at the first opportunity, she would fight back. She would have to hurry, though. Delphine caught a glimpse of a sign she recognized through the windshield. They were heading for the airport. The island was not as well guarded as Helena had expected. No killer drones buzzing the perimeter. No armed guards stationed along the shore. Not even razor wire hidden below the surf. Helena spat, disgusted by the hubris. (laughs) From her current vantage point in the jungle shrubbery on a hill overlooking the interior, she had to admit that the compound itself looked better guarded. There was the razor wire and the armed guards. Hmm... No drones visible, but perhaps they were used after dark. Raising a powerful telescope the size of her palm, Helena scanned the compound. Where is Brother Sastra?" Focusing in on a figure sitting on a veranda, she recognized a clone's face. The one pumping water was also a clone, as were two others talking in the shade of a mango tree. She did not see Felix. She did not see the leader clone of this place, and she did not see Vivi. Helena bared her teeth, remembering her last talk with the clone spy. She had warned her to think about what she was doing, to stop letting herself be used before it was too late. It seemed Vivi hadn't listened. Helena sank to the ground at the sound of small arms fire, wondering if there had been an attack by some other family seeking their own lost sestra. But no, The sound was too ordered, and no one in the compound was reacting beyond a brief initial startle. Making her way along the ridge, Helena reached a place where she could see a makeshift firing range. Five clones were lined up practicing, while another, this one with a shock of bright red curls under her baseball cap, was moving down the line, correcting stances and grips. Helena focused the telescope and waited until she got a view of the teacher's face. Vivi felt this. Yes, that was Vivi's broken nose. Not in danger. Certainly not a prisoner. So, what was she doing? Teaching Sestras to shoot? Vivi moved to a spot off to the side of the range, and turned to speak to another clone Helena recognized. Blythe. She moved with the confidence of someone used to giving orders. Helena couldn't hear what was said, but it ended with Vivi and Blythe sharing a hug. This time, she wasn't going to let Vivi off so easily. Fine
5: brother, sestra.
4: She found a sheltered place to make a discreet gap in the fence with her wire cutters and slipped through, keeping outside the compound. It was some time before she came across someone carrying a tray of covered dishes, someone who was neither a clone nor made up to look like one, So, they weren't too enlightened for servants here. The tray of food was suspicious. Helena followed, circuitously, and watched as the servant greeted an armed clone standing in front of a small, isolated bungalow. The armed clone opened the door, and the servant put the tray inside, then retreated immediately.
5: Brother Sestra,
4: got you. Helena would wait until dark, and then she would rescue him and then she would see if laying waste to the compound was necessary after all. Allison scanned the list in her hand and tutted as she walked toward the mall entrance. She had to keep two lists these days. One for errands she didn't mind the cameras following along on, and one for more private tasks. Find the lipstick that face-sucking imposter wore when she sneaked on the set and kissed Donnie was definitely on the latter list. But somehow, that was the one she had as the cameras followed her. Allison adjusted her pout to its more attractive version. She must have grabbed the wrong list. She would have to improvise. Instead of showcasing her organized side, she'd show off her spontaneity. She turned to the set of camera and mic operators.
5: Well, gentlemen, ladies, and non-binary folk, let's go. Uh, Ice skating.
4: Allison turned away from her documenting entourage, grimacing. Where had that come from? She hated rental skates. As she tried to figure out how she might get out of it, from the muted argument going on behind her, the camera crew wasn't thrilled about the idea either. Her phone pinged. Saved? She fished for it, grateful it was the chime of her regular phone and not her clone phone alerting her to yet another disaster in progress her phone pinged again while she was searching for it then again by the time she had unlocked it the alerts were almost continuous allison flashed a coy smile at the camera crew
5: sorry i just
4: need to check she trailed off as she scrolled down past all the new follows to the first of the notifications allison hendricks fan club followed you really Allison scrolled a little further, just to make sure it wasn't a cruel trolling trick. But no, these didn't look like bot accounts. And there was a fan post, and another, and a... Was that an Allison thirst post? It was. Tears stinging at her eyes, smile wider than ever. Allison swung back to the camera crew.
5: Sorry, friends, no ice skating today. Thank fuck. I've gotta get home and deal
4: with this. Allison finished off with a wink and started back toward the minivan. Being with the clones of Haven, being anywhere within the compound, was giving Vivi a headache. It was a kind of double vision or cognitive dissonance. She could still see the group the way it saw itself, the way she had wanted to see it, as a safe and welcoming community for clones who felt lost and hurt. But she also couldn't deny what she now knew to be the truth. Blythe's Haven was a cult of personality centered around a dangerous narcissist. Assuming she got out of here alive, Vivi wondered if Arun would ever let her hear the end of it. It was actually a little easier during the ceremony Blythe insisted she attend. More cringy, to be sure, but that made it easier for Vivi to distance herself. The clones seated in the middle were talking excitedly among themselves, and Shannon was glowing in a way that made Vivi almost feel sympathetic again. But then Blythe entered, her expression rapped, and everyone started chanting. And that snapped Vivi right out of it again.
5: Thank you all. Our ceremonies are always joyous occasions because we are together, but ascensions like today's are particularly moving. They represent the hard work of our sisters, their commitment to our shared happiness and safety, and what is possible for
4: all of us to achieve. Vivi shifted uncomfortably. Something about the situation felt familiar, and she couldn't put her finger on what. It wasn't like the show Blythe had put on at the Sunday Social. That had the feeling of a church sermon. This was something else.
5: Someday, I hope, each of you will have the opportunity to experience this thrill and to know that you are qualified to go into the world as one of our messengers, protecting all of our sisters who have not yet been able to join us on Haven. It's a noble calling and a great... She's
4: going on forever. It's almost like... Vivi froze. That was what this reminded her of. One of the long, mandatory, high, muck-a-muck speeches at the agency... No. The agency was... was serious, was real. They recruited some of the best people in the world, and... and... And they told
5: you it was a noble calling, and that it would be an amazing experience to be in the field, and it was. But then
4: what happened? They dropped you cold. Vivi glared, realizing Blythe was cut from the same cloth. She'd say anything she had to to keep these women under her control until she had no further use for them. Just like
5: the agency.
4: No, it was different. It had to be. Shannon was stepping up to the dais now. She was obviously trying to control her blossoming smile, and Vivi had to shut her eyes to close out the memory of when she was given a commendation and had worn exactly the same expression.
5: Is the agency this much of a con?
4: Vivi already knew the first thing Shannon would be tasked to do as a messenger. Take lethal revenge against her husband. That much was clear from the logbooks in the armory. The same was true for all the women Vivi had trained, believing she was teaching them self-defense. Once again, she cursed her own willful blindness. She'd wanted to buy what Blythe was selling, and that made her complicit in whatever followed. Unless she found a way to stop it from the inside. She yanked her brain back to the present when Blythe called another two women up to stand with her. Neither of them were clones, although they were both trying their hardest, one with her face pancaked in cosmetics.
5: And Laura and Emily both will soon ascend to near sisterhood. They have already given their spirits and their hearts to our cause. Tomorrow they will give up their faces and be remade by our surgeons. They will be reborn more perfect. They may not be clones on the inside, but by choosing to share our faces, they are affirming their commitment. They become closer to us and we honor them.
4: More perfect? Vivi fought not to let her revulsion show. At least the agency. She had to stop there because at some point over the last miserable six months, some department head had suggested she get surgery so as not to be immediately identifiable as a clone. She had never been sure if he was joking.
5: Who among you has been made to feel cursed by our face?
4: Blythe's gaze darted through the crowd, landing on Vivi's long enough for her to feel briefly pinned.
5: Who among you has been alienated, abandoned, treated as if your very existence was
4: unforgivable? Vivi saw emphatic nodding from the crowd, clones holding each other in mutual support, fists raised in solidarity.
5: The world believes we are less than human, but we will show them we are much, much more. They think the face we share damns us. We'll show them it unites us. They've made our face the focus of their hate. We'll make them fear it.
4: Vivi's throat went tight. Blythe went on, stirring up her followers, calling on them to be prepared for a reckoning was coming. Their energy was terrifying. If this were happening back on the mainland, Vivi would expect these women to riot at any moment. She's completely insane. It was past time Vivi put a stop to all this before Blythe started sending clones off the island to cross people off her kill list. The question was how? She had no way to summon help. Even if she could, cults were fragile, volatile things. When threatened, they could turn violent
1: Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.
0: Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind.
4: This is
0: the story of Harry Dalowitz, and how he rose from nothing to become New York's king of the egg cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.
4: Cosima hated this fucking police station. The chairs were uncomfortable. The architecture was hostile, and the whole thing was just totally fucking fascist. She hated that she had to go to the police at all, but Art and Jessera were still on vacation, and she hadn't been able to find any clue for where Delphine had gone. After a hasty search of the mall had turned up nothing, Sarah went back to her place, promising to stay on it. But if there was any chance that these people could help her find Delphine faster, she had to try. Dropping Jessera's name and telling the officers that Delphine was extremely pregnant and had missed her doctor's appointment, which she never would have, had gotten some attention, even though technically it was too short a time for an adult to be declared missing. And now she was waiting, in these fucking uncomfortable chairs in this hostile building where she was sure they wouldn't let her vape. <sighs> the officer she had been talking to came back into the waiting room, and Kasima leaped to her feet.
5: Anything?
3: Well, we got lucky in that the bank on the corner has a, a sharing agreement with the police already, so we've been able to access their outdoor security footage directly. We pulled the footage, but, uh, well...
5: Well, what?
3: Well, there's a decent view, and she went willingly into a car with someone.
5: Oh, fuck. What happened? What did they tell her to make her go with and
3: them? And I'm afraid that person appears to be... you.
5: But... It wasn't me. Obviously, it wasn't me. As you can see, I'm- Be
3: that as it may, ma'am, we simply have no proof that it wasn't you, or even that you are who you say you are, and not someone else.
4: Cosima, jaw dropped, scrabbled for her ID, which the cop ignored impassively.
3: Ma'am, as I'm sure you can understand, it's simply not possible for us to continue with the search, given the situation.
4: Kasima fumed. The bastard was enjoying telling her that he couldn't help her because she was a clone. She inhaled deeply. She wasn't sure what she was going to say, but it was going to be loud. Fortunately or not, her phone sang out Sarah's ringtone. Turning away from the cop, she grabbed at it.
5: Anything? Not sure yet, but I've got an idea.
4: Felix paced the ten-by-ten shed where Blythe's goons had tossed him. The walls were concrete covered in plaster, the metal door was locked, and the windows were little more than ventilation slits near the ceiling. The place was either too dim or too garish with artificial lighting. On the other hand, at least it was cool, and the food they brought three times a day was decent. Felix tried a few Count of Monte Cristo languishing poses— then considered using the time to work out and turn himself into a badass. But when he asked the cultist who brought him his food for some paints, they came with the next meal. Maybe Blythe was deluded enough to think he was still planning to do her portrait. Oh, get fucked, Blythe. That feeling of defiance didn't stop him from jumping halfway across the room when the door creaked open and in walked Vivi.
5: Stow it. Excuse
4: me? Vivi slammed the door behind her and immediately prowled through the shed, quickly examining the corners, the single overhead light, and feeling along the edges of the cot that was his only furniture, before turning her attention to his paint supplies.
2: You turn me in, you absolute traitor, and now you show up and you tell me to stow it?
4: Vivi finished examining the paint supplies and leaned much farther into Felix's personal space than he was comfortable with.
5: Okay, there's no surveillance. Side. Let's get something straight, Felix. We aren't friends. We were never friends, so spare me your indignation and try to be smart about this. What's that supposed to mean? You
0: fucking sold me out. I had to. Pinning the
5: armory break-in on you was the only way I could stay and play. Besides, if we both got nailed, who's gonna save your ass? It means you better start telling me the truth. What are you really doing here? Spying for your sestras, you useless British dork? Hey, I'm not a Get me the fuck out of here. I'm working on it. Cut the crap, Felix. Just come clean. Blythe can be forgiving. It's not too late to get on her good side.
0: Oh yeah, she seemed very amenable when she fucking imprisoned me. What's the arse-saving plan then?
4: Vivi suddenly faced the wall he'd started painting.
0: What the hell
2: is that? This old thing? Just keeping busy, you know.
4: In fact, Felix was pretty happy with the abstract he'd been working on. Maybe absolute privacy and lack of fucks to give was conducive to creativity.
0: You don't even have a
5: plan, do you? I'll improvise, it's what I do. Just sit tight, alright? Don't talk to anyone else. The more Blythe trusts me, the safer it is for you, and the better chance I have of stopping those kills from being carried out. Is that supposed to be Blythe?
4: Looking at the half-painted wall, Felix snorted.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah, the spitting image. And I do mean spitting.
5: I can see you're not ready to have a serious conversation, but I'll be back. I'd use this time to really think about your situation and to consider how you can best come out of it. I'll get you out of this, I promise. Glad you're
4: okay, you know? She punched him on the arm more awkwardly than a straight man in his first gay bar. Felix rolled his eyes. Oh, God. Don't they teach you about interpersonal relationships at the agency? Vivi finger-gunned him and left. Felix stared at the door for a long time, then turned back to his mural.
5: Get out of the car, Dr. Cormier.
4: They had driven around to the private section of the airport, and Delphine's hopes were sinking. There was no security control in that area, no one to alert. The small passenger jet that idled on the tarmac was emblazoned with the name Tethys. And once they got her on the plane...
3: Please don't do this. I shouldn't fly in this condition. You can't put my baby at risk.
4: That was a lie. She was only 25 weeks pregnant, and her obstetrician had told her she was fine to fly until week 36.
1: It won't be a long flight, and we have a doctor on board. Get out now. We want to treat you well, but there are lots of ways we can make you uncomfortable without harming
4: your baby. Delphine started getting out of the car, her hands shaking...
3: If you stress me out, my baby will feel it. Then you better not get stressed.
4: Delphine steadied herself, took two steps, and doubled over in her best imitation of excruciating pain. (laughs) Something's
5: wrong. Nice try, Dr. Cormier. Get up. Oh, my God.
3: I'm not joking. Uh...
4: It was a perfectly obvious ploy and Delphine knew it, but she was gambling that her kidnappers were too interested in getting her safely to Blythe to take any chances. She wasn't disappointed. Damn it,
1: what if she isn't making Get the doctor.
4: The other woman ran to the plane. Janice still had an iron grip on Delphine's arm and was trying to pull her to her feet. Delphine kept yelling, curling her free hand into a fist where the clone couldn't see it, waiting for her moment. As she allowed herself to be pulled up, Delphine punched Janice in the face. The clone recoiled a half step, loosening her hold. Delphine wrenched her arm free and started running. God damn it! An aircraft hangar was just up ahead. If Delphine could just get far enough to be seen by other people, airfield staff, security, anybody, she'd be home free. She hadn't run more than 20 steps before she glanced back over her shoulder. Janice had already regained her wits and started after her. Delphine had no hope of escape.
2: You're listening to Orphan Black, the next chapter. Starring Tatiana Maslany, Jordan Gavaris, Evelyn Brochu, and Christian Brun. Created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Orphan Black, The Next Chapter, Season 2, is executive produced by Tatiana Maslany and stars Tatiana Maslany, Jordan Gaviris, Evelyn Brochu, and Christian Brune. Based on the television series Orphan Black, produced by Boat Rocker Studios. Written by Malka Older, Madeline Ashby, Helly Kennedy, E.C. Myers, and Lindsay Smith. And produced by Marco Palmieri and Haley Wagreich. Associate produced by Nicole Otto and Diana Foe. An executive produced by Molly Barton, AMC Networks, and David Fortier, Ivan Schneeberg, and Jessica Shadlock of Boat Rocker. Performed by Tatiana Maslany, Jordan Gavaris, Evelyn Brochu, Christian Bruhn, Alyssa Zia, Vikas Adam, Taya Garland, Hudson Mako, Stephanie Shea, Daniel Bonjour, Stephanie Frame, Tiana Camacho, Kimberly Marable, and Nathaniel Kweku. Directed and produced by Kaylin West. Sound design by Rory O'Shea. Additional editing by Corey Barton. Musical theme performed by Two Fingers and composed by Amin Tobin. Music composed by Trevor Yule.